All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Channel Podcast 2020. I am here with my friend Lou Smith. Lou, how are you today, sir? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I can't complain, man. It's the uh, first day back to work after the New Year's, so just kind of knocking off the the vacation dust and getting back into the groove of things. But uh, looking forward to the 2020 season. How about yourself? Uh, doing the same. I uh, got back into work after a nice Christmas break and um, was kind of lost for the first couple hours. But, you know, that's how it goes. You're right. You're like, where is everything on my desk? What am I supposed to be doing here? <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely the second one. It's a new job, so I'm still trying to figure it out. <laughs> nice. Well, you're a smart man. I'm sure you're going to get uh, get the hang of it real quick. So for all of our listeners that aren't familiar with who you are, can you give us a rundown on who Lou Smith is? The Lou Smith? <laughs> I knew you'd bring that up. I am the real Lou Smith. Um, there is another... Louis Smith the fourth. We we're both the fourth, uh, oddly enough, and we both shoot in the same region, even though. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I grew up in Colorado. Um, I started shooting shotgun with my dad when I was a kid, and um, up until I was like 12 years old, doing ATA competitions. Um, yeah, I've uh, been around the shooting sports, competing um, for the last five years. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Now, you grew up out here, though, orig- or not originally, but you grew up out here or were out here in Southern California for quite a while, correct? Yeah, that's that's where I would say my I got started in long-range shooting. Um, I was working in Victorville, California, not the best place, but uh, had lots of desert area to go shoot stuff up. And um, I, oddly enough, had a, a vacation in Las Vegas, and I was bored during the day and was looking for things to do and um, found out that there was a VPRC match out there at the Catam Range. And so I just walked up and said, um, I think I picked out Tyler Ferner. He was the match director. I was yeah. like, hey, uh, real curious about this, never seen it. You know, can I help out? Like, I didn't even know if there's anything I could be doing. And um, <laughs> funny enough, he he didn't want me to RO anything. Like he didn't want me scorekeeping. He didn't want, he's like, what's your long range experience? And I was like, I don't have any. I was like, I've shot, you know, targets at a hundred yards. And he's like, all right, well, you're going to help this guy spot. Like, so there's two of us spotting and uh, <laughs> you know, Judgment call goes to the shooter, but unless I was calling it, then uh, it was in question. <laughs> but um, you know, it was it was awesome. I got to talk to some of the ROs and the, and the local guys that were setting up the match, um, and just kind of ask questions, ask shooters questions. Um, kind of got that idea of like, yeah, this is really cool. This is something I want to do, and. I think I could do really good with a seven rem mag like that could hit a target at a mile. (laughs) So so my, my uh, first custom rifle was a long action Remington 700 that was uh, uh, trued up and chambered in seven rem mag. 
And uh, <laughs> I was shooting that at a club match at uh, West End Gun Club, and our longest target was like 520 yards. <laughs> so <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I guess I've been known as the uh, target destroyer since I started shooting. You know, because <laughs> I think we. We took down a couple of close-range targets with that seven-rim mag. Yeah, I would imagine you took down several. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that that's funny because my uh, introduction into precision rifle is kind of something similar to yours. I didn't I didn't realize that, but the first match that I ever attend was a VPRC match um, that Tyler and Janae were hosting, um, and the guys out there. So that was the first time, and now my local range is West End Gun Club for SoCal, and that's you know where we do our club matches when I'm in town. So kind of similar backgrounds. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's where I met you. That's where I met, um, I don't know, they're, they're kind of graybeards in the sport now, but guys like Solomon and Rich Cronister, you know, um, yep. Phil Pickens and some some of the other guys from that club that are just awesome um, took me under their wing, uh, just told me what I should do, what I shouldn't do, kind of let me try their gear. I mean that was huge. Just hey, what what's that scope? What's what's Mills? You know, teach me how to do you know conversions from MOA to Mills, and, right. and I was like, that's not what I should be doing. So yeah. <laughs> so I would imagine you pretty quickly realized that shooting a seven rim mag for competition wasn't necessarily the ideal setup when that yeah. epiphany kind of took place. What did you go into? <laughs> so that literally happened the first or second club match. I shot that rifle in and I called up GA precision and I'd been researching actions for a while and I, I knew I wanted another rifle after the seven rim mag, and um, I said I, I want um, a Tempest action. I know how to switch barrels on it. You know, put a barrel in a barrel vise, and you know, I need a an action wrench so I can take it on and off. And you know, I want it chambered in six five forty seven and seven song. And uh, they they built me a rifle, and um, pretty quickly I was like, you know, I'm, I'm barrels are expensive. I, I want something that I can uh, use as a trainer. So I had them build me a second rifle, even before the first one was, I called them back up and like six months later and I was like, Hey, I want to, I want a second action in 308. So they, uh, they built me a second rifle. Wow. So you went full on committed before you even had your first quote unquote competition rifle, even in your hands. Yeah. Um, I, I love shooting. You know, I've been doing it since I was a kid. Um, 22 rimfire precision matches at um, NRA indoor, you know, positional style matches. And being able to hit something long range was just that awesome feeling. I was like, ring and steel at distance is fucking cool. <laughs> it is. It, it's one of those things that it's like you don't realize – that feeling that you get, you know, shooting at a hundred yards is cool. It's fun. But then when you shoot a thousand yards for the first time, you're like, ah, hundred's boring. Why, why even do that except to check your zero or confirm zero, whatever. Right. 
And then all of a sudden you get that bug. How much further out can I get and how often can I repeat those impacts? And uh, well, it, it's well I, was, I was a little I was a little different. I, I still am. I like shooting groups. Um, I I tend to take a bench rest shooters mentality to reloading okay. and try and ring out every bit of accuracy out of the rifle and the cartridge I'm shooting. Um, so I, you know, using my engineering degree kind of applied that to my reloading techniques and, you know, I, I soaked it up for, you know, three years plus, um, you know, having these long discussions with my dad who is a bench rest shooter, um, and going back and forth about why I should do it one way versus what people are telling me to do. You know, he, he wants me to shoot a flat base bullet. You know, everybody else is shooting these high BC boat tail, you know, target match bullets. And, you know, he's arguing the, the benefits of both. And so is we've, we've had some really interesting conversations over the years. And, um, you know, I, I've gone to that, you know, almost like an F class shooters, uh, mentality of prepping brass, prepping, uh, bullets, you know, even using the double comparator to sort my bullets to, you know, truly get everything I could out of that, wow. that cartridge. And I'm coming around full circle, you know, and um, starting to experiment with other ways of reloading um, other methods. I've, I'm moving to a progressive press, um, you know, trying to buy equipment that assists me in reloading and making it quicker. So, you know, a Gerode trimmer, amp annealer, Dillon 750. Um, you know, I still have all my other presses, but, <laughs> you know, I don't plan on using them so much anymore. Gotcha. So correct me if I'm wrong, because you understand the science and all that, obviously way better than I do. But isn't it a lot of the calibers that were being used in Ventress are now seeing their way into the precision rifle competitions? It is interesting. Um, you know, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, there, there seems to be some cartridges out there that have their inherent accuracy. And, you know, the, the BR cartridge was something that was developed years ago and I guess it was two doctors that just went through a bunch of testing, trying a bunch of different wildcats, you know, taking, um, what's his name? Uh, Ackley. I forget his initials, but, uh, taking the ideas of Ackley improving a cartridge and applying that to their Ventress cartridges. And they, they kind of struck a chord with the, the, uh, you know, PPC and, and some other similar cartridges. And, um, that, I, th I think that we're going to get more cartridges, more new cartridges from the F-Class guys. One thing that, you know, we're seeing a lot of the Dasher, the six Dasher, right. and our, what I would consider a mid-range uh, two-day match, you know, distances from 100 yards to 1,200 yards. Um, but I think you're going to start seeing some of, for some of those medium ELR matches or you know, shorter range ELR matches, maybe the f field matches um, where you're seeing competitors shoot with long actions. Um, I think you could see some of the uh, uh, 284 Shahane. I, I huh. haven't seen a whole lot of that cartridge. No. And that's something, that's that's one that's really 
uh, popular with the F-Class guys. And I think we share a lot more with F-Class than we do with Benchrest. I think we can take lessons learned by those by both disciplines and apply them to ours and kind of put a spin on it for what we do, um, realizing that, hey, you know, we, we can't have the tightest chamber. You know, we're not going to maintain the nth degree tolerances because when you're sitting at a bench and you want to crank out 300 rounds for the match that's in, you know, probably 12 hours if your name's Regina. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, you, you want to start streamlining some of the stuff and take shortcuts. And, and one of the things that, that I've tried to focus on my modifications of my reloading process is you can get, you know, really good um, – return for your dollar with certain pieces of equipment or certain processes. And then you just keep chipping away at it, you know, trying to get a tighter and tighter, tighter group. And I think it's an evolution, you know, you, as a, as a beginning shooter, um, you're not going to be able to afford all that equipment right away. Right. And I, I think there's, there's a, a certain amount of information you need to know to reload for accuracy, but to do it, on a bench, you know, on a hand press, um, maybe it's going to take you more time because you don't have the automatic feeder. You don't have the amp annealer. You're, you know, using a, a propane torch and spinning it in a drill bit. You know, right. I've, I've seen guys anneal their brass that way. I've seen that too. You know, it's, 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 it, you know, don't put it past people. I mean, it works, you know. Um, but then when you get to, like, hey, I've been doing this for a year, and you know, it takes me three hours to anneal a hundred pieces of brass. I kind of like to knock that down to like thirty minutes, you right. know. Um, and that's where you, you start looking. Yeah, that's where you start looking for those uh, key pieces of equipment that assist you in your reloading process. Now, when I first got into precision rifle, I started reloading, but I started. Not competing, but I, start, I learned everything with the 308. Okay. So I started reloading my 308. And then as I got busier and I progressed, I went up to a 6.5 Creedmoor. And I've stuck with the 6.5 Creedmoor for the past several years. But now with the evolution of the market, let's just say, um, there's a ton of great factory ammo out there as well. If you're not shooting a Wildcat <laughs> cartridge. You know, so for somebody yeah. who's still shooting... Uh, quote unquote factory ammo now or factory cartridge like a 6.5 or even the 6 Creedmoor is now factory. Is there a benefit in your opinion to buying factory versus reloading or vice versa? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier for where are you going to get the most bang for your buck? First thing I, I tell anybody that asks me would be Get rid of that hammer forge barrel and put a custom barrel on it. I don't care if it's button or cut rifling, but any of the major manufacturers, they all make great barrels and they're all accurate enough for what we do. And after that, I mean, why reload? Just there is some really good options out there. Uh, you know, Hornaday, um, Burger, Federal, Prime, and I'm sure there's more out there. But go out, do the testing, and pick a factory ammo, and and then you're in the sport for, you know, maybe three thousand dollars for the rifle, maybe a couple, another couple of thousand dollars for a scope, 
but you're looking at um, you know reoccurring higher costs for ammo, but you haven't sunk all that money into the reloading aspects of it. And you know, I kind of got caught for the finale this year. Uh, I was in the middle of a move, packed away all my reloading gear, and didn't have access to it. So I was in that situation where I'm looking to go to a national competition, probably, you know, the biggest one of the year. Yeah. And I'm like, shit, I gotta, I gotta find some ammo. Um, I had foreseen this, uh, in the, in the past. And so I had a, uh, a factory chamber, uh, six Creedmoor barrel that I had, um, mile high spin up for me on, on the Tempest action. And I had been going through all the different types of, uh, six Creedmoor ammo. I, I tried Burger, I tried Hornaday and Federal and Prime, and I tried different types of bullets. And you know, just pick a box of twenty here, pick a box of twenty there, and go right. out and shoot it. Um, and I, I was looking at you know taking a gun that was shooting right around 0. 0.4, 0. 0.5 at a hundred yards, which, as we all know, is you can do it. Okay, <laughs> it's doable. But you're yeah. not. But my name's not Tate Streeter, and you know, I'm, <laughs> I, <laughs> I like I like that accuracy. I like the I like to have confidence in my equipment, and uh, I finally uh, Prime came out with some uh, 115 grain RDFs, and I was like, let's try it, and holy shit, that stuff worked phenomenally, and that's the thing. I mean, it it your, your barrel length and your barrel type may vary, and maybe your your gun like some other ammo, but you know I had a 27-inch uh, barrel, um, <laughs> and it just that prime shot really good, and it actually made me question what I'm doing with my life at the reloading bench. <laughs> <laughs> that must be some <laughs> you know, good ammo like, then, if it's making you second guess your reloading. Yeah, you know, it um, it, it shot about a point three and. <clears throat> Although you can you can reload better, and I I have reloaded ammo for better, but for the simple amount of effort of just going to the store and picking up some prime ammo and or ordering it online and bringing it home and shooting it, I mean, damn, yeah. that's that's good stuff. The convenience <laughs> factor is the biggest reason why I don't reload. It's just I I don't have time, yeah. and usually when I'm going to a match, it's like less than a week's notice that I'm able to go. So I'm just trying to pick out whatever I can, um, if I have it here already or, or if I have to go and buy it. Um, but, you know, for everybody that's out there that's getting into the sport, you hear them a lot, you know, it's, it's super expensive and so on and so forth, and it is, but this is one of those components, you know, as far as reloading that can, you know, you can save, you know, two, three, five thousand dollars in reloading equipment or you can spend it. It just depends on which path you want to go. And you know, it is I've heard it a lot of times, but it's true. I mean you can you should probably not spend that money on reloading equipment and spend it on the ammo. Make sure you like the sport. Get that training. You know, get your proficiency at at shooting barricades because as a new shooter, that's your number one obstacle to get better at. Right. How to shoot in modified prone, how to shoot in weird, unsupported positions. So with Go that, out there, get your experience. Experience is, is 
always the best in anything that you can do, right? The more you experience it, I think they say in order to master something, you have to do it 10,000 times. Um, so experience is in, invaluable. But, you know, you, you talk about going out there and learning different positions. If you're able to recommend one position or one barricade for somebody to start on, brand new shooter, he's great prone, but now he has to go to some type of a barricade, a tank trap, a ladder, rocks, uh, something. What would you say, what would you recommend that person to start with? <laughs> so I have been taking a tripod and going to my 100-yard range because that's what's close to my house. Right. And I will set up that tripod at varying heights from six inches off the ground all the way up to little, you know, I'm standing on my tippy toes. And I've found that that is actually pretty beneficial. Um, you know, it's, you can't have access to all these beautiful places we go shooting because they're out in VFE. You know, it takes me an hour and a half just to get to the nearest range that has a thousand yards. Right. So if you're like me and you still want to get out and practice, um, a tripod is an invaluable piece of equipment. I know they were allowed for the finale, but, um, you know, get used to using them. And if you don't have, you know, the, a barricade like a VTAC wall or something, that tripod actually works as a pretty good barricade. You know, I just take the, the, the ball head off and set it up at different heights and, you know, you can load into it and if you can, you know, just play with it in different heights. And if you're shooting on paper at a hundred yards, you will find out that there are certain elevations off the ground which you have a hard time with. And, you know, you'll be shooting half-inch groups or, you know, if you're me, three-quarter to an inch group at 100 yards. And then you get to a, a certain height, and all of a sudden that group size opens up. And that will open your eyes to, you know, maybe you need to experiment with a different body position or just practice it, you know. Huh, That that's cool because... I never, I never even thought about that, but your tripod acts as a kind of like a modular barricade because you can change the heights then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my my range is kind of limited. Uh, I am fortunate enough that they'll take the, the table out and I'll be able to shoot prone. And I can't really shoot um, standing because we have these big metal plates to keep bullets from escaping <laughs> the range. But uh, but we you know I'll I'll take my my 22 and I'll I'll shoot uh, a target at 50 yards and um, man paper doesn't lie it's not forgiving. <laughs> no, that's that's the truth. That is absolutely the truth. So kind of a weird transition, but paper. You're also and a lot of people probably don't know this, um, but you're also a freelance writer, correct? <laughs> yeah, um, I've done some. Some writing for uh, Bison Tactical. Um, he's a local guy here in Boulder. I love Fred. He's he's a great guy. Yep. Um, and I was doing some heavy analysis on a match that I shot, and I, I you know, I'm a spreadsheet geek. You know, I can't help it. I'm an engineer, but I was I was looking at um, comparison of different matches, and you know, why was I good at one match versus another match? And I, I broke it down t and recorded all this data on, um, you know, how, how long each shot was, um, 
you know, how, how did I do? How did everybody else do? And, you know, was that stage hard? Was that stage easy? And it just naturally progressed. Uh, you know, when I talked to Fred about it, he was like, hey, you know, just write up some words about what you're doing and, you know, put it on the blog. And, you know, it's, it's really good information. And it is, but <laughs> it's really time consuming. And I, I've kind of gone away from doing that match analysis, although I wish I wish I had it for every match I shot. I mean, it's it's really good info, but um, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the, dude, you're like the segue master today because that leads me to a, another great segue. Is we announced today that we had something coming soon, right on uh, social media, and we're getting ready to launch. Oh, a is new this website. a spoiler alert? This is this is a spoiler, but this yeah. this won't be out yet. But you're getting the you're getting the heads up before everybody else. Um, Sweet. So th- this will this podcast will come out after this is launched. So, but uh, on the new website, we have gathered all of the statistical data that we can from 2019 for all of our 500 plus NRL members, and we have compiled that into different statistics. So when you sign up as a member for 2020, you're your each competitor is going to have a shooter profile with statistics broken down based upon their performance for the year. Then you can also go out uh, on the website and you, you're logged in as you, and you can compare yourself to another competitor that shot that same match or a different match to see how you're doing in that match or overall in the season. Oh, that's awesome. Can you tell me what some of those metrics are? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> uh, okay. I'm, I'm stoked to hear this. Like, I, I am – if you want some feedback, I'd be happy to tell you all the different metrics that I was using. And, you know, another good guy is Sheldon Nichols. You know, he put yep. together a comparison of all the shooters, not only NRL but PRS, and kind of had like this – what was it? Five year history of, of oh, top yeah. 100 shooters. He's like, that was some footwork right there. Yeah. He's a, he's a machine. I know he was working with Brittany uh, over here on getting all of that data together. And what he put out was absolutely phenomenal. We're not getting as detailed um, per se right now, because we want to see how valuable this information is. If everybody actually likes it and wants to use it. Cause there's a, in our community, there's a group of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a group of shooters that I would say are more scientific and analytical about stuff. And then there's a group of shooters <laughs> that just like to go out and have fun and bang steel, right? Um, oh, absolutely. I'm one of those guys that just likes to go out and bang steel. I know I'm never going to be a top 10 shooter or a competitor, but... I enjoy the sport. I enjoy the people. I, I love the camaraderie. That's why we do what we do. But then there's guys, you know, they want to know how to save a second on every movement for each round and what their <laughs> average hit ratio is here and there. So we're kind of trying to combine both and put that out there and see what people like. Do they want more data? Is it too much data? Is it too complicated? And that's why feedback from like yourself and Sheldon and some of the, the guys that just like to bang steel like myself, um, we're going to try to make it so it's out there for everybody and, and make it so that you don't have to do the analysis on your own or Sheldon doesn't have to 
do it on his own. And we're going to have a running record from 2019 forward of all statistics. I think that's awesome. That's that's awesome. And I think you're doing it a really good approach at that too because you put out there what's easy to do statistical analysis on first, hit percentage, you know, performance. And as you get better at it, you get feedback from the shooters and, you know, at – Maybe you have a poll and say, hey, what what do you want to see for statistics most? Right. And, you know, just don't – that was kind of my problem is I I tried to do like the grand analysis first and it's overwhelming. And my suggestion to you would be just incrementally make it better and better. And, and I think if if you can automate it, that's key. That, that Getting that automation on a website – just makes everything go so much better. Yeah, that whole automation, a lot of it is automated right now, but we're working on making it even faster. Probably won't happen until middle or end of the year for 20 and you know be launched for 2021, but we're trying to do everything we can from a technical standpoint to improve the the life of the sport if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, oh, yeah. improve the, the data, the statistics, the the fun. You know, we have it. So uh, another spoiler alert where later on in this year, probably like a phase two or three of the website, uh, you'll be able to challenge friends at a, to a match. So if you're going to a match and oh, your buddy's so- like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to go, you can publicly challenge them on the website and say, I'm going to come to nice. this match. I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> Okay, segue. <laughs> you started it. Um, I have this idea, and I want you to implement this for the two buck challenge. All right. I want to see. I want to see in scope view. I know they they just released that uh, trigger cam. Yep. I want you to get a couple of trigger cams and mount them to two competitors' scopes and do a head to head comparison of what each shooter was seeing when they were pulling the trigger. And because you know me, I, I've done some videos on YouTube. Oh, yeah. I love watching Trace through the spotter. But what I'm missing is that what is he holding? You know, what was his approach to that stage? So if you're shooting uh, a speed stage, you know, the the out and back right. uh, switch sides out and back, um, you know, did he dial or did he hold over? Is he did he dial wind? you know, to, so that he held center and then just went center, favor left, left edge, off the edge, you know, and then back, or did he know exactly what his holds were and never touched his windage? Cause that's an argument I have with shooters all the time. It was like, Oh, absolutely. I, I I touch my windage and it bites me in the butt every once in a while. But you know, I, I just find it so much easier to shoot targets that way. See, and that's funny because I'll set my zero windage and elevation. And once my zero is set on windage, I never touch my windage throughout a match. Never. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think it was the uh, Prairie Rock match. You got a video of me shooting. And what I did for that stage was I dialed for a center punch hit on the first target. And then I, I redid my dope card so that I only had to do holdovers and I dialed my windage. So I looked at the wind hold for the different distances and I knew it was like center and then um, 
I think it was top of target, favor left, and then it was a little bit over the target, left edge, and then it was, you know, a t- full target above the target and off the left edge, and then come back down. And that was probably one of the single best stages I had that match. And it's probably the best time I've, yeah, it's like the best time I ever run that out and back stage. And you got it on video. I was yep. like, this is awesome. But, I remember. <laughs> you know, the other yeah. thing, you know, that I'm interested in seeing, you know, that trigger cam, we tested it at the championship and that thing's awesome. Hopefully we're going to do a lot of things with them this year. But what I'm also interested in seeing is when you're doing a speed stage, but you're uh, shooting at the same target, if you if when you're engaging that target, if you wait for it to settle, or do you time it every mm-hmm. time? You know, because I see some mm-hmm. of these guys like Nico Detour, he's hella fast, right? John Pinch, super fast. Mm-hmm. I see these guys going after these targets, and I'm like, how that target didn't even have time to settle? How did you know when to pull the trigger? Yeah, and I I think it. I mean, from my experience, it comes with just getting better at um, repeating that that process of, you know, rack the bolt, find the target, and then when you feel comfortable and you know how to pull the trigger um, with a good follow-through and, and, you know, good trigger pull. But being able to do that at a speed at which you're not missing because those speed stages, misses kill you. I mean, if it's a tiebreaker, it doesn't matter how fast you do it. If you miss, you know, 50% of the targets – you're not winning that stage right. against anybody that shot your your same score. And but if you you know if you take your time and, and you get eight out of ten, nine out of ten, hey, you're you're going to be pretty far up that that list of tied shooters. Yeah, and the thing is, is we've seen the tiebreaker time stages break down people from first, second, third, and fourth place where they should have got you know second or third, and because. You know, they had the faster time, but they didn't get that one extra impact. They dropped placement. You know, so yeah. it's yeah, it, it's a struggle. It, the struggle's real, man. I I go out there and you know, if I'm feeling good, I'm racking the bolt, and you'll see you'll see really good shooters do this on um, difficult stages, especially stages with with uh, targets at different distances. But they'll shoot smooth slow, methodical. They're watching that bullet trace. If they can see it, they're watching that bullet impact. You know, you, you watch somebody like Jake Vibbert. I mean, he's even watching where that splash hit on the target. And then he moves to the next target and he's, he's double checking it again. You know, is that wind really doing what I think I just saw? Or was that my trigger pull? And then after that, you'll see him start speeding up, speeding up, you know, and before you know it, that last target, he's just like, whack 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 yep. and it's it's phenomenal to watch shooters do that it, it's Austin crazy our game he does that yeah it's crazy because they are so smooth it's like you, you think in your head they're gonna run out of time hurry up hurry up right and i'm mm-hmm. even when i'm filming people i'm like dude you're gonna in my head i'm saying you're gonna run out of time and all <laughs> of a sudden you know they're done and the ro is like dude you got like 20 seconds left it's like Mm-hmm. Did time stand still for these guys? What the hell's going on? Why don't I ever get that? Yeah. And, you know, smooth is fast, fast is smooth. But it it comes with experience and knowing, you know, knowing how to get those hits. And you know that those first couple of shots mean so much and affect 
so much what you know how to what to do for the next couple of targets. If if you don't see where that bullet went on the first couple of targets and you miss, then you're you're gonna have a rough stage. And and like the uh, the lights out match. Oh that that's a perfect example of this. You will if you looked at the score analysis on that that match, yep. you would see really high scores, and then you would see a couple of bombed stages, just you know, twos or threes out of ten. It's like, what happened there? Well, it's quite easy. You did not know where that bullet went, and you didn't get any report on bullet splash in the dirt, and you had to move on to the next target, and you're just like going to the left, going to the right, trying to find, you know, a hit yeah, somewhere guessing. on a target, and you're guessing, and the, and then before you know it, it's over, and you're, <laughs> yeah, that that's a tough match. It, it is definitely a tough match. Any of those matches where there's no berm behind it, or the berm is deceptively like you think it's right there, but it's actually like 50 yards behind it. Any of those type of situations, it's oh, really, yeah. really tough. South Dakota Steel Classic this year. Oh, that was brutal. <laughs> yes. Uh, you you ROed the stage, and what you had a uh, five target troop line, two yep. shots each. Yep. What one MOA targets? And there oh, was man. nothing behind that, you. I <laughs> that that was a brutal stage. <laughs> it, it is, and it's um it really humbles people, you know, because some people just you, you get up there and you're confident in what you're doing and you do okay, and sometimes you go up there and you're confident in what you're doing and, and you're like, What the hell am I doing as soon as you're done with the stage? Because nothing that you planned worked <laughs> at all. Yeah, I was having a good day until your stage, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Not that, my stage, just the stage I was ROing. I didn't design it. <laughs> so Wasn't it your your uh, scorekeeper that designed that stage? <laughs> I think it was. I, I think it was uh, Hayden that designed that stage. So it was... Uh, well, it... It's it's not like I haven't shot stages like that before because I've incorporated it into a, a local club match that I helped uh, match direct and I had one MOA targets out to a grand, um, ten targets, and same thing. <laughs> it, it was brutal on the shooters. I didn't get to shoot it, but I the scores reflected how hard that that match was and. Um, yeah, everybody that's listening from Pike's Peak, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So you have the schedule for 2020. What is your plan for this year? I mean, you hit quite a few matches last year. Yeah, last year was kind of um, unique for me. I, As a contractor, I was making pretty good money, so I, I had some spending funds, and it didn't upset the wife too much. And uh, I, I was able to get out and shoot a lot of matches, and I even had some bonus matches where it happened to be the same place that the wife was going, so that worked out. That was nice. Nice. But um, this coming year is quite a bit different. I've changed jobs, uh, big pay, cut in pay, and now I'm, I'm kind of looking at, like, let's keep the matches close to home, and I, I want to drive to the matches Right. And you know, I want I want to be able to carpool with my buddies and stay in you know, stay at a hotel with someone, reduce those costs. But um, you know, I was really looking at both leagues, NRL and PRS, and I put all the matches together and I looked at the schedule and you know, for me, family is is very important. Um, my daughter, she's 
she's six turning seven next year and and it just that was kind of the reason for the job change too is you know i i need to be home for family so one match per month and within driving distance the two leagues compared to each other and and the nrl just made sense you know and um to your guys's credit too i mean I've shot I haven't shot a lot of East Coast matches and PRS seems to be more East Coast centric whereas NRL you know started and grew in, out of the West Coast but it's also shooting styles you'll see um, maybe this is just all perception for me but um, you'll see a lot more positional style matches and shorter ranges and the East and the PRS matches and then there seems to be from where I live and matches that are close to me you'll see more field matches. Right. And I just I love shooting the field matches. I love long range targets. I love shooting prone or you know slightly modified prone, and you know hitting a small target a long distance is just awesome. You know it just makes me so happy. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I couldn't agree with you more. So we're getting near our our time cut off here. Um, but one thing that I always want to ask, I and this is the engineer part of you, but you know I'm going to ask it. <laughs> What are your top three either things that you have to have, have to do, or superstitions before you go to a match? When I'm getting ready, I've I've got to have my list. I've got to go down and make sure I'm not forgetting anything. So I, I keep a list on my phone. I check things off. I'd actually be interested I to hear see my what daughter. that list is. Yeah, yeah, I could share that with you. I think that'd be really I, cool. <laughs> so uh, previous year I was shooting TAC Division – and I was bringing home a bunch of trophies, and my daughter got really excited. And so, she, you know, every time I came home, she's like, "Hey, you know what? What'd you win for me?" So <laughs> this last year, um, when I was going to matches, she would always say, "Hey, Daddy, you know, win me a trophy." So that's I. I look to hear her, you know, talk to me and and wish me good luck so you know giving her a hug and kiss before i leave is uh, really important to me and i, I like yep. hearing her say that so that, that's awesome i i think that's uh that'd be definitely on the top of my list <laughs> good stuff good stuff well is there anything that you want to say plug your sponsors um anything of that nature let people know uh it's yours the floor is yours sir yeah um you know, thanks to the sponsors that I have, um, carrying most of those through to the next year. And um, I guess I'll announce it here, but uh, I'm kind of starting a web page of my own. And I'm starting to do some products and some services, um, helping people with reloading over years. Um, I've collected a lot of gear, and I'm starting to do some brass prep uh, services for people. So... Uh, putting that 750 to work, making it earn some money, trying to go. make up for that, make up for that reduction in income. But uh, yeah, if you want, uh, you can go to theavidshooter.com and and uh, check out some of the things I have on there. Um, kind of created a couple of uh, products that have helped me throughout the years. So I've got a what I call a, a wind wheel. Um, it it sits on top of my tripod and. You point it towards north, you point the other wheel towards your target, and you look at your bearing, and you can enter that into your Kestrel, and that's really helpful for the field matches. If, you, if you've you got, you know, a, a target off to the right and, a, you know, 90 degrees or farther off to the left, 
your wind's going to change, and you need to be able to enter that information into your Kestrel quickly and, and get that dope on your dope card quickly. So um, that's been really helpful. Some guys really seem to like that. I'm in the kind of exiting the prototype stage and starting to make those products. Um, I've awesome. got some, uh, yeah, you know, some, some other things. Go out there and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. The, the website again? Theavidshooter.com. Theavidshooter.com. I will definitely be checking that out. Lou, it's, you know, a little bit later in the evening. I really appreciate you taking out uh, the time. I know we had to reschedule because I was a little bit under the weather. Uh, so I really appreciate your patience <laughs> and you taking the time to come on the show tonight. Um, you know, and I really look forward hey, to seeing you next season. Glad you're feeling better. And, you know, thanks for uh, giving a, a mid-pack shooter a chance to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You know, thank you for having me on. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to uh, maybe, since this is the, the preseason kickoff, maybe do a, a mid-season check-in and see uh, how things are going. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. And maybe, uh, you know, depending on how everything goes, we'll do a mid-season and a end of the season again and kind of follow you along in your journey and see if your mind's changed on anything or new gear or advice <laughs> or any of that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you say you're a mid-pack shooter. Um, I think, you know, I don't rank anybody by anything. I think good people are good people and, and everybody has a, has a voice. And I just love talking to good people. And you're one of those dudes. Thanks again, Travis. It means a lot. And, you know, you've been a, a good friend and um, I've, I've enjoyed watching the NRL come along and you, you guys have done a really great job just being inclusive and getting those uh, new shooters out and shooting. And I think you've created a really wonderful environment that uh, helps grow and culture that, that growth. And um, man, you guys are doing a great job hitting it out of the park. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate that. And and it's people like you that uh, help make this community great, especially when you, you put down your stuff and you start working on other people's rifles and trailers and, and helping give <laughs> advice. And <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. How is that trailer doing, by the way? I mean, I had to use it, what, two times, three times this past year? A couple of times, and yeah. And if, if you guys... You know, if you didn't have it next year, I would probably be hurting for for one reason or another. But uh, I, yeah, how, how's what's any updates? There are, but I don't I don't want to get into that. I'm just going to say that uh, the community has really rallied together and uh, helped us out so that we can get a lot of stuff replaced, and the trailer is going to be up and ready to rock and roll for 2020 even uh, even stronger. So. It'll, it'll be there for awesome. everybody to use, and it's going to be a, a great season. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, sir. Travis. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. For, we'll see you out at the range. Yep. For all of our listeners, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, stay safe. Keep shooting. And as Lou said, we'll see you all at the range. Take care.